We want to pick up the conversation again on the gospel for doubters. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, what the gospel means in a holistic sense for uh, for for our faith, uh, for our relationship with God, for our flourishing in the world. I want to continue that conversation with AJ by talking about spiritual practices for doubters. Um, I feel like the kind of people that listen to our podcast, I know some of them, you know, my, uh, my wife listens and your wife apparently <laughs> listens too. Um, but some of my students and I hear from various pastors who are walking with people in doubt, but also people who are wrestling with their faith. But I think what the message I'm getting from people listening is they're clinging on. They're clinging on to a childhood faith or clinging on to something that has been meaningful in their life, maybe continues to, continues to be meaningful. But when I talk to people about faith and doubt, people that have stepped away from the church for understandable reasons, uh, reasons of, of trauma, reasons of fear, reasons of disillusionment, disappointment, they don't know how to how to re, uh, reorient themselves towards their faith. So let's say, AJ, someone's listening to this podcast, uh, this series, and they're resonating with the idea that Jesus is still someone worth knowing. Mm-hmm. They're resonating with this sense that we are, uh, we have great need and we have a great savior for that need. But how do you pick up the pieces? Mm-hmm. If you feel like your faith has been shattered, and there are very legitimate reasons why people's faith has taken a, a, a heavy beating, um, but, they, but they're now at ground zero, and they want, they want to renew their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not the smartest thing. To just step back into their same church and, yeah, yeah. you know... Or it could not be. It, it might, be. Not, yeah, be, it might yeah. not be, yeah. To, to step back in the same church and then and then just get right back into volunteering and leading Sunday school and, you know, all that. You know, it, for some people, that may be really, really hard. Um, I'm the kind of person, I think you're the kind of person too, AJ, where um, sometimes you engage in practices mm-hmm. yeah. that get your body and yourself moving in the right direction, even when your heart's not quite there yet. Yep. So that's why I wanted to talk about spiritual practices rather than just kind of a one, two, three, do these things and you'll miraculously have a perfect faith. Sometimes we do practices, um, like exercising. I don't feel like exercising pretty much ever. Yeah. Yeah. But I go out for a run. I put on my running shoes and I go out for a run uh, because I know it's healthy. So I'm going to throw a practice out there, um, and that while you're thinking, AJ, um, because this has been really, really, really helpful for me, and it's going to sound to some of you kind of new agey, <laughs> mm, mm, great. But I promise you that it's biblical. Um, silence mm-hmm. to me, silence yeah. has been an important practice because we've actually talked about this before. But for maybe there are some listeners who are jumping into this uh, series or uh, hopefully have forgotten some of the things that I'm repeating myself on. 
But um, more and more in my life, especially as I am tapping into the deeper parts of myself that I've bottled up and not let mm-hmm. out, yep. I am spending more time in intentional solitude, not just because I'm an introvert, but because I know it's good for my soul. Intentional solitude and silence. Yep. Because I feel like when we find people who are getting carried away in sin carried away in harmful self-harm practices, I feel like in many ways we just keep busy and we bury things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like science and solitude allow us time to really look inward and Mm -hmm. say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? What do you want from my life? So I feel like those moments of of intentional reflection, some people call it mindfulness, Mm -hmm. meditation, are really important, but I really recommend silence. Because um, quieting the soul, um, I feel like, has a rejuvenating effect on our faith. But it's not easy either, because when you do it, the th- this practice of silence, um, because when you are silent, stuff starts coming up. You know, yeah. I, like for example, the um, the monastic fathers, the desert fathers, would talk about when they would get when they would get silent. How that was when the demons of temptation and lust would come up. Yeah. You know, is that yeah. when they were silent, those those things would start coming up and be like, my gosh, why am I thinking about that person and that and 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 and, and in terms of that, we keep ourselves busy because it keeps the demons down. Yeah. You know, we don't have to focus on them. We don't have to pay attention to the stuff that's coming up in our soul. But when we actually do shut up, the, the those things start coming out. We get to name them and see them and and bring them out into the light of of Christ. Um, yeah. So Morris Dirks, who's our spiritual director, who's getting quite a bit of airtime today. Um, <laughs> we don't get commission. We don't get referrals. commission at all by this. But um, he uh, his recommendation, and I've been practicing this for a couple years now. Um, but he he recommends twenty minutes of silence every mm-hmm. day in the morning, just 20 minutes of silence. And actually in our spiritual direction triads that we're a part of in the spiritual formation program that he runs, we practice that 20 minutes of silence before we do uh, spiritual direction. And uh, I I will confess uh, that um, silence is both uh, profoundly painful and difficult to actually do Mm. and extraordinarily liberating. Um, uh, It's counter, it's counter, Cultural, it's counter um, everything that we know and do. So, so you found silence. What's ironic? Isn't it weird that we're at a place where that sounds new agey, <laughs> where that that even comes across as new agey? That's so insane to me that that could be even constru- construed in some small way. Well, you mentioned in a previous episode that um, you know, in the divorce between Protestant, Protestants and Catholics, Catholics got formation, Protestants got the Bible. So, I think part of that is the Protestant. Uh, ethic of just reading the Bible, Bible study, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. But the Catholics got meditation and silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And and so we want we want that one back. Yeah, yeah. We we want that that one one. back. We want. Yeah, no, I love that. We want that one back, or at least let's share it. Let's 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 share. And you get that from Morse. Yeah, yeah. We'll do some Bible studies for you guys, and you can give us. They don't want our Bible Yeah, they probably don't want our Bible studies. Okay, well, what about this one? Okay, so here's another practice. And and this I don't think this is new agey, but but I do think I think it's it's a powerful practice. And and it's gonna come across weird for people walking through doubt. But hmm. so I uh, I mentioned in a previous episode I run a doctor ministry program at Fuller Seminary on the Holy Spirit and leadership. And the uh the 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 guy who runs the whole program 
uh, the whole doctor ministry program is a good friend of mine, Kurt Fredrickson. Kurt Fredrickson is the director of all the demon programs. Incredible guy. Okay. Wonderful guy. Anybody who wants to go to get a, get a demon program, go to Fuller, go to Northern. You got some good, good options here. Um, but Kurt Fredrickson tells this story about when Dallas Willard would come and do doctor ministry classes at Fuller. And he tells this story where, um, he goes to lunch with Willard, uh, who is, I think in the evangelical world, the, the guy on formation. I mean, he's, we're, we're still grappling with his, uh, life's work. You know, he passed away a few years ago, but his stuff is transformative. Mm-hmm. I mean, his renovation of the renovation yeah. of the heart, all the stuff, he's just upside, um, hearing God, all this stuff is just so good. And Fredrickson tells a story that he asked Willard to go to lunch after one of the sessions, and they were walking around downtown Pasadena, and they were driving on the way to the lunch place, and he just heard Willard humming the whole time. <laughs> and he was he was sort of kind of put off, like... Um, like he's distracted. Like he's aloof or distracted yeah. or something. And uh, Kurt just decides to say... What's can, can I ask what's what's going on? And um, you know the way Kurt describes it to me um, is is he says that Willard says, well, whenever I'm out in the public, um, I always hum a hymn because uh, that's that's my um, that's my spiritual warfare. And he would just everywhere he would go, people that knew Willard would say he would hum hymns spiritual humming, spiritual humming. Um, I, uh, so now when I drive to work in the morning, I have about a 10 minute drive to work. Interesting. Um, I, on the way to work, uh, sing over and over and over again. I sing praise the name of Jesus, um, which is a hymn that was actually written by the pastor who founded the church that I go to. It goes, praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's our fortress. He's my deliverer and him will I trust. And I sing that for 10 minutes on the way to work. And uh, I can't tell you, um, you know, if it's it's not magical, um, but there is a significant power that comes in um, little hymns and songs that we sing to Jesus throughout the day. Hmm. Um, and I think, I guess, yeah, Willard always said, if you want to do what Jesus did, you had to practice what Jesus practiced. Well, if I want to do what Willard did, I have to practice what Willard practiced. And I've been hymning. I've been hymning. Uh, just yeah. singing little hymns throughout the day um, when I'm walking to class or walking between places. And for some odd reason, it just puts your heart and your mind in a centered place around Christ. Yeah. I call it hymning. So just like, it's not the hymn, it's hymning. It's the verb, hymning. Yeah. So yeah. I call it hymning. Um, and I, I I just sing the same song. And I don't know very many worship songs by heart. Uh, I, I know a few and the ones I know, which are most of, most of them are by Rich Mullins from the nineties. Um, there's nothing I, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but I sing those a lot. Um, so hymning, uh, I think is a really beautiful practice. So silence, uh, uh, hymning. What, do, what, what else comes to mind for you in terms of just practices that you, embody? um, so, Okay. I, I don't do this in this specific way, but the you know the idea that I want to convey is how we use physical space, um, and so um, a, a tradition in Scripture is setting up memorials or monuments to God hmm. in different places in ah, your life. Interesting. And sometimes you'd set up physical uh, constructions of rocks or something. 
as a as just visual reminders of the presence of God and reminders oh. of what God's done in your life. I'll give you an illustration. This actually comes from a, a buddy of mine named Bruce Longenecker, New Testament scholar, and he did a really in-depth study of Pompeii. And there's this old academic narrative that uh, the cross was not a Christian symbol, a master Christian symbol, until Constantine. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Bruce actually uh, wrote a book uh, arguing against that, saying that there's that evidence was, yeah. that crosses were already being used yep. in the first and second century. Before uh, Constantine. Before yeah, Constantine. Yeah, right, right, right. So one thing that he did was he he went to Pompeii in Italy and he took uh his camera and he ran around and he took pictures of everything that might look like a cross. Huh. <laughs> and he and he's trying to figure out it might be a plus sign, it might be a letter of a word, it might be some other thing. But he actually makes an argument that on the streets of Pompeii, very organized streets, every now and again there's a cross. And he's and throughout the book he's able to argue their crosses and not something else. But he argues uh, he comes up a hypothesis why these might exist, and he thinks it's just an idea. But he thinks that Christians were essentially dedicating the city. Mm. He actually argues there were Christians in Pompeii, hmm. which there aren't very many people that argue that. Um, whether or not that's true, it is a helpful image of using visual things in spaces in our life to remember the Lord and to recognize His presence in all things. That's been a theme of our podcast. That's been a theme of this series is um, recognizing how God is present with us, not just in the quote-unquote spiritual places like church, Mm -hmm. but in every place. Now, that's not a substitute for going to church or a substitute for being a part of a Christian community. But, um, you know, using physical space and, you know, drawing a cross somewhere that's important to you yeah, uh, or something like that is, is another spiritual practice you can do. I think some of the practices that we're talking about, like you were talking about with hymning, hymn humming, uh, they're, they're somewhat non-traditional, and I think that's helpful for people wrestling with doubt. They don't want to do kind of the classic things yeah. because it can trigger them in some ways. The unscripted thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but but to try some of these alternative practices that are still very biblical, uh, resonate with Scripture, but get them doing different things, uh, yeah. I think yeah. is really helpful. Um, I'll, I'll recommend another one, because I forgot to mention this earlier in the podcast uh, series. Um, read Bible translations that are different than what you grew up with. Mm, so, for example, there's a Bible translation just came out called the First Nations Version. Oh, so cool. Which is written by indigenous, uh, yeah, indigenous uh, Native American people. And I don't treat these as the Bible because they're quite paraphrasy, like the Message Bible, like Eugene Peterson and some of these. But I read it. I got the book and I read it to my students, some portions of it from Philippians, because we were teaching a class on Philippians. And it just helps us experience the text in a different way when it's using the discourse and imagery and language from another culture. Yeah, absolutely. And for some people who have experienced damage to their faith because of a church or because of an institution... I'm not saying they have to go completely off script and just reject the ESV or the NIV, 
but utilizing a different kind of tool, like a different Bible translation, as a supplement uh, to a more formal translation, because I still think those former translations are, are you know, helpful for getting down to what Scripture is saying. But I think using these supplements can really renew and freshen your faith hmm. to, 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 to use different terms. Absolutely. Yeah. And different different cultural uh, equivalents. Can I throw another one at you? So, yeah. um, so, uh, yeah, somewhere along the way, uh, I heard that when you go to New York City, when people moved to New York City, um, within uh, just a short period of time, uh, people that moved to New York City uh, start walking faster. Just something about being in the city the makes you walk faster. Yeah, the rush. Um, we we are very socially formed people. Totally, and and we are formed by the people around us in in inalterable ways. We are shaped by those that we choose to be around. Um, and and for those going through doubt, deconstruction, and the and the sort, or for any of us. Um, paying very close attention to the people in those moments that we give permission into our lives is very is very critical. Um, you know, Eugene, you brought up Eugene Peterson, who said um, that the single one of the greatest sins of American um, leaders and American pastors in particular is a generation of people who demand that everybody follows them, but they themselves follow nobody. And he's talking about yeah. how we ask people to follow us, but we don't follow anybody. Mm-hmm. And that is why things like having a a pastor in your life, having a spiritual director, um, having somebody who's further down the road in front of you that is helping form you because you are going to become the, the relationships you surround yourself with. Yeah. And unfortunately, what can happen in times of doubt and deconstruction is we surround ourselves with peers who have the same issues that we have. And we, it becomes an echo chamber of just disgruntled frustration with everything, all church, all the time. And so we become kind of a peer, a, what what sociologists call a sibling society, where we don't have anybody over us, and yeah, we're just no surrounded. Leaders. Exactly. We're just surrounded by peers. And, and that can become a pretty dangerous place. Um, so here's, here's, here's an idea. Have one person who is not super far down the road from you, just a little bit in front of you in the Christian yeah, walk. Yeah. Three, four years. Just somebody who is a little bit more mature than you, that you can hold on to and just let everything out with them all the time. That's great. Not somebody who's like 30 years down the year, don't road. Don't, don't go look for Eugene Peterson. You don't need that. <laughs> you need somebody who's just a little bit in right. front of you. And... And get in their life. And you chase them. Don't make that. I mean, you know, Kara Powell at Fuller, she says, you can download a sermon, but you can't download a mentor. And it's hard to find <laughs> a mentor. But getting, putting yourself in a position of uh, going after somebody, if you're a Timothy, find a, a little, a Paul, you know, yeah. if you're a Timothy, find a Paul, somebody who's just a little bit in front of you and Imitate them as they imitate Christ. Because in those moments, often we need somebody to follow, not just Christ. We need somebody, a person that we can follow, who maybe has walked through the doubt process themselves. I was just thinking, if they've wrestled with the same things you've wrestled with, they then you feel like you can be honest with them. Yeah. But also they can they can kind of help you cling to your faith because they are a little bit down the That's road. That's exactly right. It is hard. I, I can say this by experience. It is hard to take spiritual counsel from somebody who does not know that doubt experience if yeah. you if you're walking through it. 
you just it feels like you're talking to somebody about a disease you have but they've never had yeah. it you know it's so and their advice can ring hollow absolutely yeah. yeah um so i think that's another practice we've got some good yeah. options here let, let, let me do one more and we'll we'll yep. officially end because uh we're running out of time but uh for me aj probably the most formative thing one of the most formative things that i thankfully was invested in me as a younger believer is scripture memory and it might seem counterintuitive if you're wrestling with doubt to memorize scripture, but it's similar to this idea of, um, you know, you'll walk the pace of the people around you. Once you get scripture into your, into your memory, um, it has a way of, of, of spreading throughout your body. Yeah. Yeah. Spreading through into your, you know, getting deep into your soul. Yeah. Um, and, so I would recommend memorizing scripture texts that really resonate with you in your moment. For me, my favorite memory verse is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, in the body I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hmm. In one verse, you get the cruciform message of scripture, of discipleship, to die to self, to die to world. And if if in those dark moments that seems too hard, then you get the message. Yeah, he's with you. He's for you. He loves you. He died for you. He cares for you. And when you're trying to cling on to faith, that's everything. To me, there's nothing more important yeah. than hearing that Jesus showed his love by giving himself up. Yes. Um, maybe it's the Christ hymn. I find the Christ hymn really powerful. Philippians chapter two, two verses yeah. six to eleven. Is really powerful. You could memorize Psalms. Uh, you know, there are many things you could memorize. I find that scripture memory has a rejuvenating effect because you're saying to God, I want to believe that your word is truth. I want to believe that your word is restorative. I'm going to invest in that. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that you've promised your word is perfect, even though your people aren't. <laughs> mm. So even mm. though the people have let me down, your word won't let me down. And there are definitely parts of scripture that can help you. Uh, restore some of your faith. I love it. Jonah, in the belly of the fish in Jonah 2, when he sings the song to Yahweh, uh, when you take his lines in the belly of the fish for three days, uh, he is copying and pasting directly from the Psalms. Yeah. He is he is saying in his worst moment those, those Psalms he memorized as a little kid that are all coming back to him right in his moment in need. That's what scripture's for. And Jesus does that on the cross. He does it on the cross as well. Yeah. yeah. NJ, hey, thanks for a fun season. I'm, I might start uh, I might start humming. Who knows? Hymning. Him humming. Hymning. Hymning. Oh, <laughs> All right, man. You're a blessing, brother. Thanks, <laughs> everybody, too. for listening. We'll, uh, we'll see you next season as we keep going. But thanks for listening to the In Faith and Doubt podcast. Uh, this is AJ. It's been NJ. Uh, we're really glad that you've been with us. Grace and peace.